Aussies only. Thanks to GLG Green Life Group, leaders in property services and open space management at glgcorp.com. Well, welcome to another edition of Aussies Only. And go back now and have a chat to a player that's got one of the finer CVs, certainly of the last half century in Australian tennis. Uh, was an Australian Open finalist in 1977, reached the semifinals of the French Open twice and the US Open, was at least a quarter finalist at all four majors, won the doubles title at the Oz Open in 77 and won the Fed Cup as a teenager in 1974. I speak of uh, Diane Balistrat, formerly Diane Fromholtz, of course, and thank you very much for jumping on with us today. Thank you, Darren, for having me. Going back to the start of it, obviously you did quite a lot when you were young, but I understand you grew up in Albury and up on the border. Uh, can you take us through, I guess, early life and how you got involved in tennis from there? Well, I was um, when uh, my sister played tennis at uh, seven years of age in Albury, um, I would go with her. I was three years younger, so I was four years of age, and my mother would uh, drop us off at uh, the tennis club uh, early in the morning and um, I wasn't in the classes. I would just uh, be on the side and they would do shadow drilling in those days when you'd have 100 children on the courts and uh, I would go through there, one, two, three, shadow drilling. Um, and then after that, we moved to Sydney. So I was really about seven when I started, four when I kind of got introduced to it. At what point, was it always a love or, or was there a point where it turned into, I'm actually all right at this, I think I can take this somewhere or was it always the dream that I'm going to do whatever I can to, to make sure that this is my life? I don't know if I, I thought that way. I just like playing the game and um, I enjoy it. My parents, uh, my mother and stepfather played and uh, I used to go down to the courts with them. So um, I enjoyed playing and getting the attention, obviously. If I <laughs> hit the ball over the net, I was always, um, you know, patted on the back. So I kept on going. Was there somebody who sort of pinpointed early that uh, you're actually quite a talented youngster and, and there's a chance that, you know, you, you might be able to to climb the heights here? No, no, not really. I played my first tournament when I was 11 um, and then I just started to win all my junior uh, championships and state titles um, so I guess uh, nobody kind of said anything about it and I just thought it was natural to be able to do that um, I enjoyed it I noticed your, your first Australian Open appearance was at 1971 so you would have been 15 is, is that right yeah. 15 14 yes around that age yep. can you sort of take us through that experience are there things in place when you are that young in a way to whether it's extra guidance or, or other things or what was that experience like being that young? Oh, I wasn't really sure because um, I don't think I knew the full extent of uh, what I was doing at that, at that age. Um, I would just go out and, um, and I really liked to win. And um, my mother was a big uh, driving force in what I did, but even though she was that, I, I still really loved to, to do what I was doing. Now, I understand you finished school quite yeah, with that support from your family. Was that always an easy decision? Was there pressure to maybe sort of see that through? Or, or I think you finished school at about 16 and, and turned your attention yes. to travelling? Yes. Um, well, the decision was if on the first tour I didn't, I didn't do very well, then I would have to go back to school. As it was, um, I went to Europe and I won 10 open tournaments against seeded players and then the decision was already made. There was no point in, 
in going back to school and obviously we didn't um, we didn't have um, online schooling and things like that so you had to make the choice was there much in terms of being overseas for an extended period of time we know it's a bit harder for Australian players given you can't just pop home like if you're a European player and you went out of a tournament early you might be able to duck back to the UK for a few days it's a bit different being in Australia um, did, did you have family traveling with you or or was it what was the adjustment like to being overseas for an extended period Uh, well um, I had one family or two family members go with me each time um, so I was never really homesick only when I got a little bit older and I had to be uh, by myself at at certain times so no I enjoyed the travel Um, we had a great time um, going to the tournaments Um, our first tour we were in a camper van. Um, I was with uh, my mother and um, her, my sister and her friend, and uh, we travelled all around Europe. And uh, um, I would just, uh, you know, we'd all pile out of the the camper van, and uh, I'd dress, and then I'd get ready for a match and walk out the back of the camper van and go and play. So yeah, we had lots of fun. Did you get time to enjoy the the fact that you were overseas, or was it business, train, tennis? Was there a chance to sort of go, oh, I'm actually overseas and, and living something that people this young might not do. No, I never thought that, but uh, it was enough just to be at the courts and, um, you know, being in England in, in the summertime was just, it was beautiful and the trees and the colours of, you know, how deep green everything was. It was just, you know, I just like the, the, the simple things of it and, and the tournaments were great. The 1974 Fed Cup, obviously now the Billie Jean King Cup, a, a tremendous triumph for Australia, but a, a whirlwind for you. I think you're on your, you were still on that first trip overseas. You, you weren't originally in the squad. You got called up as a result of illness, I think. Can you sort of take us through that? And then obviously playing alongside players like Yvonne Gulligong and, and being able to lift the trophy in the manner that you uh, you did. Can you sort of talk us through that? Um, yes, well, we were in England at the time and I think Patty Coleman was supposed to be playing um, and she got sick I think and uh, they called me up I was I was already in Europe um, so we trekked across um, we trekked across Europe and went to Naples and um, uh, there I uh, yes it was a, a very new experience and uh, I kind of got to, to know Yvonne a little bit and um, yeah I think I played pretty well I was playing pretty well at that time anyway I just won quite a few tournaments so what's your relationship like through those events with I mean is is it the case that when you're on tour uh people like Yvonne or, or Margaret Court or Wendy Turnbull these sorts of players do you form really good bonds being Australian and having that point of I guess consistency with, with those players and then you kind of look after each other on tour I was a bit younger than these girls I was like at least six years so I did I whenever we had a big event I was able to be able to be with them but um, other than that no um, I wasn't really you know associated with them I was kind of on my own with Yvonne obviously that there've been there were a lot of points of comparison with her and Ash Barty and of course she was Ash's mentor did you kind of yes. see that as somebody that would have played with and against Yvonne and then watched watched Ash could you see perhaps those parallels? A little bit. I think uh, the mentoring from Yvonne and, um, you know, the confidence and positiveness that she would uh, would have conveyed to her would have been of, uh, of great uh, satisfaction to her. So, um, and I think she, uh, I, I don't know um, Ash Barty that well, but uh, I think she holds uh, Yvonne in high regard. So um, she, she feels like pretty honoured to be, 
part of being a friend of hers. A little bit before that Fed Cup, Australian Open quarterfinal in 73, obviously it was in the Kuyong days. How mm-hmm. important was that for you? I mean, still a teenager in terms of giving you confidence. I mean, you'd done a lot already, but but to understand that you could compete at that high level, um, you know, in terms of the belief that gave you? No, I still, I still didn't know uh, what ability I had. Um, I think... Um, when uh, I was younger, I, I was I had a had a goal of being number one in the world. Of course, everybody does, and um, and I was just training towards that. But um, I didn't know that I had that much ability to be able to be a top player. Being as a, I'm a left-hander as well. Not that I have that much yeah. ability, but being a, a lefty in terms of a point of difference. Obviously, we talk about it these days, where they they talk about you know facing left-handed serves and and those sorts of things. How how much were you able to use that to your advantage? Given you know maybe nine times out of ten, the your opponent mm. is playing a right-hander. So so being able to throw up that point of difference uh, during uh, a later Fed Cup, uh, I was with. Um, uh, Neil Fraser, who's a left-hander, mm-hmm. and um, he brought that up quite a lot more to me. He said, you've got a really good advantage, uh, swing your serve out wide, you know, you'd be able to go cross-court, you've, you know, you, the ball's spinning straight into them. Um, so he kind of highlighted that uh, the fact that I needed to use my left-handedness a lot more, and, and that was very helpful. US Open 76, you made a semi and took on Yvonne Gulagong there as well. I guess that experience to, to be in a major contest, but against a, a fellow Australian, one who had already had enormous success. Yes. Um, I, I'd uh, played Yvonne in um, Tamworth when I was 14. It was the first time I played her, played her. And so then the next time I played her was in the US Open um, in Forest Hills that time. So um, I still had a bit of, like she beat, she had beaten me 6-3, 6-2, and I still had a little bit of uh, wariness about her. And obviously she had a lot more experience. Um, a lot of the girls were uh, quite a lot older than me, so they had been on the tour a long time. Um, but I did learn from that experience. Um, I played her later when she was nearly about to retire and then beat her quite easily. But, yeah, at that point, that was a big one to be able to win that and couldn't do it. A couple of French Open semifinals as well. And speaking of all-time greats, Chris Evert, one of those opponents in in 1979. What's it like in terms of you? I mean, clearly at that stage of a tournament, you're going to be playing high-end talents. But to to, to play players with, with those sorts of names and those sorts of reputations, was that something where you kind of relished the challenge or do you approach it differently thinking, I mean, she was still forging her career at that stage, but playing someone who ultimately is a legend of the sport? Um, yes, yes. Well, they they mostly had a head start on me, obviously, because they'd been playing a lot longer at their, at, at their own um, national tournaments and international tournaments. Um, I was quite fresh. I think if... I had maybe planned a little bit different about how I would approach the um, Grand Slam events, um, then I probably would have done a lot better. But 
in the rounds, I really had a lot of tough rounds. It wasn't uh, like I had easy rounds. I had seated plays to play. So by the time I got to Chris Everett, I was a little bit tired at that point. <laughs> in terms of, did, was, was there one in particular that you either modelled yourself on or looked up to the most? Did, did you kind of almost live your own life and play your own game? Or is there somebody thinking um, or somebody you looked at thinking, if I can play like that or or that's the type of player I'd like to be? No, not really. Um, I took a lot off, off a lot of players. Like I took a, a, off Chris Evert for her. She never showed any emotion. So I kind of learned from that. I took a little bit off that. And um, then there was, um, say, Billie Jean King. She came to the net all the time. I didn't come to the net all the time. But um, I tried to um, make my game an all-round game. So, um, yeah, so I kind of picked a little bit off a lot of players um, to, to try and develop my own game. Was there any of them that you found troubled you the most, thinking the way they play and what they're throwing up at me is the most difficult to deal with? Oh, um, they're all pretty difficult. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine. They're all difficult. Yeah, I mean, you had to, uh, if you were going to play any of the top players, um, you know, in the early stages, uh, I didn't have too many tactics. I just went out there and, and played and hit hard and did the game that I knew. But then a person, I was at uh, La Costa in a four-women event and um, Panto Segura came up to me and, and said, well, um, you know, I said, well, you know, can you give me a few tips on how to play uh, Martina, you know, <laughs> and uh, he gave me a few few ideas and then I thought, oh, okay, so then I used that and I beat her and then I realised that I hadn't been using tactics against anyone that I'd been playing. So from then on I started, you know, devising ways of beating people, especially if they were stronger than me. Yeah, so I got quite mentally into it. Is that something I know we'll, we'll touch on it shortly, but when you do a bit of coaching and that type of thing, is that one of the lessons that you, you sort of pass on now, thinking that you've got to be adaptable to the, I guess, the style that's required to win that particular match? Um, well, I at the moment, I only I, I coach, uh, I'm a part-time tennis coach, and uh, I coach uh, just, just regular children who enjoy the game. So we really don't get into that. Sometimes in a comp match, if I feel like a player might be able to understand what I'm talking about, I would go away and help them with it, say, well, you know, you need to be able to know how to pass. You need to be able to draw them into the net or something like this. You had that run at Wimbledon a bit later in your career in 1987 when you were the year that yes. you turned 31. Can you sort of take us through that sort of late spike um, and, and what that was like to, to obviously get back to a, to a deep run of the major? When I was uh, 27, I had a, a car accident and hurt and injured my uh, shoulders and arms. At that time I was coming up to ranked 11. So then I dropped down to about 60. So then I met my husband and um, he said, oh, well, you should try and get back into it because I was kind of missing it. Um, and we did a lot of training and I physically got in really good shape. So that brought me to the point where I was in Wimbledon against Martina in the quarterfinals. And uh, I, I thought I was doing quite well because I was 
a little bit older then. You spoke about meeting your husband, French, in terms yep. of that, that spread of life overseas in Australia and, and those sorts of things. How much did that change, I guess, to a life in terms of where you were based and or not too much at that point? No, not too much. It was it was still the same. I was uh, I spent 15 years on the tour with a break in the middle of a couple of years. No, it, because the tournaments are the same as they were, as they are now, you know, you had to play a certain amount. I probably played too many. I played sometimes 26 tournaments a year. I felt like um, I should have just been concentrating on those four major tournaments, which a lot of them do. We haven't mentioned the 1977 Australian Open yet. Obviously, you won doubles and made the finals in singles. You were actually the highest seeded Australian going into an Oz Open until Ash Barty a couple of years ago when she won the title. So you held that position for 40-odd years as the the highest Aussie seed going in to that point. Can can you take us through that event? Obviously, you came very close to winning both titles and and what it would have meant to have done so. Yes, well, I played uh, Kerry... Kerry Reed in the finals, and she. Um, I was 19 at the time. Kerry was um, had focus, had uh, laser focus at the time. Um, her husband, uh, Raz, was uh, he was coaching her. I was kind of on my own. Um, I don't know what I was doing actually, because uh, I really should have been thinking that maybe this was the only time I was going to win an Australian Open. And uh, yeah, so I missed my chance, but that's all right. I mean, you. Uh, you learn from that. I thought I was going to have a lot more Grand Slam events. You have to take it when it comes and be ready for it. Uh, the year before, we also boycotted the mm. Australian Open, which was a little bit of a concern for me and a couple of other girls who could have won the Australian Open. We boycotted it for uh, higher prize money, which they've obviously got now. So that was a little bit of a sticking point uh, for myself and a few of the others. Uh, wished, we wish that uh, maybe the W2A would have boycotted the US Open instead of the Australian Open. Well, yeah, obviously in terms of the uh, the, the, the locals yeah. at, at that point. Did it get yeah. the result quickly enough? Obviously you were back the, the following year, but did the tour get the result they were looking for reasonably quickly in terms of forcing change? Yes, slowly they, they, were, they were getting prize money as it went along. I mean, I came in in 1973 when we first got the uh, computer ranking and also prize money was starting to come in, but it wasn't what it is today. I mentioned before you were the highest seeded Aussie at the Australian Open until Ash Barty won the title without putting you on the spot. Can you pinpoint why that might have been the case? Obviously, we had Yvonne Goulagong retire in the early to mid-80s, and obviously we, we won the title again in 78, obviously with the growth of other nations around the world. Does it just come down to that, that the competition got a little bit stronger, or, or what would you maybe pinpoint as the reason? That's a big question. <laughs> That's a really <laughs> you're putting me on the spot for that. I think we need to concentrate more on our own, our own players. You know, we kind of looking to everybody else for champions, but I, I really feel like we should be trying to develop our own and I I know in the past I've seen a lot of good players come in and go out and just not not be selected so yeah so I don't know I mean our era of of tennis with women uh, we had like four or five in the top 10 earlier on so I just I'd have to do a bit of research to find out exactly why all of that happened the way it did. A couple before we we let you go, your your thoughts on, I guess, tennis today and how it may have changed and even comparing those eras. I mean, I've always been of the belief that you you take champions from one era and you give them the resources of another era and they'll become champions in in that era as well. Do you you kind of see it? 
that way and, and how has the game developed to your mind? Well, um, I think uh, in our day you were able to go and practice with whoever you felt like. It was a little bit more free and easy. Today you've got the huge entourages. You may have your coach. You've got your uh, agent. You may have five or ten people around you and even if you're not a top-ranked player, you've still got someone going with you. I think that adds a lot of pressure to the player. I don't think it's changed that much otherwise. That's that's the biggest change I see. The recognition for you with the, the Hall of Fame and obviously we know the, the, the busts that line Melbourne Park and, and the, the names yes. of the great Australian players. Can you take us through how proud you are to, to be in there alongside, the, alongside those names and I'm sure you, you frequent the Australian Open from time to time and did you get that sort of pinch of pride when you walk past that row oh i definitely do you know my chin goes up and shoulders go back (laughs) actually a lot of my uh, juniors social juniors they go by it and they take a picture of it and they send it to me so uh (laughs) i think i think it's wonderful they 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 just you know most of them don't realize uh, they don't even know who i am when i'm coaching them and then they go to the australian and they say we saw your bus there (laughs) yeah yeah it's there so you know so it's really nice it's really fantastic and nice yeah do you have a when you think back on your career? I don't know how often it happens, but um, if the head hits the pillow and you think about your career, is there one memory that that comes back more than others that 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 you're either most proud of or that you most reflect on along the way that that you go back to? Well, my first win when I went to America and I played the satellite tournaments and I I win a tournament and then I come up and they put you against a top seed player and then I go back down. So that would be three or four weeks of doing that, going back up and coming back down. The first time that I beat Chris Evert, that time was a very proud time because um, I had never, never beaten, you know, a world best and... uh, yeah, I was very proud of that. Thoughts on maybe I would like to have won more Grand Slams. Maybe possibly if I'd done the planning right, I might have been able to. But, you you know, you, you have what you have at the time and you do your best. Um, I'm happy with it. What's your outside of Australia, which is probably the answer, your favourite major of the, of the other three? I like Wimbledon for the tradition, but I like the French Open because it is just a, a beautiful setting and they have, you know, the under, under walkway underneath the, underneath all of the grounds. And um, then when you, if you ever get, a chance to go sightseeing, which I did when I took an elite uh, group of girls there and was able to go sightseeing. Well, that was just um, fantastic. But I actually liked everywhere. I liked everywhere <laughs> I went. <laughs> I was going to say, fa- favourite place anywhere to play. Obviously, places like Italy and, and just places like that, I'm sure, would be would be lovely. Oh, Italy. oh yeah. yeah. Forte, Forte Italica was just, it was, you know, you had the uh, the statues all around. the And it, it just, yeah. And, you know, Switzerland, it was beautiful. Yeah, we, we played in some of the nicest places. And before we let you go, obviously, in terms of what you're up to today, you spoke about the lessons, uh, Tennis XL, and can you take us through that, how you formed it, and um, I guess who, you, who you're working with? Yes, well, I, I work with my husband and a couple of young, young up-and-comers who, you know, locals. Yeah, we just, uh, I work part-time, some juniors, and I just... Uh, you know, try to give give my expertise and uh, help them enjoy the game. And you guys have got a bit of work, I think, happening around the the club or, or some upgrades that are oh, on the yeah. way. Oh yes, well we've had we have had all our courts changed uh, to synthetic grass, and um, we did have like a little um, fiberglass clubhouse, and now we've uh, we've got this luxurious clubhouse, and um, 
and storage room and uh, I'll be able to have an office there, which uh, at the moment I'm on a chair and a table uh, underneath a a cover. So, yeah, so we're just, we're waiting for that in October and that'll be fantastic when it's finished. And how can people find out a a bit more about it? I know you've obviously got a Facebook account and various other things if people want to learn more. But the Long Beach Tennis Club uh, website there and I've got my website, which I need to update, obviously. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, well, there's a. <laughs> I've uh, I've driven past it uh, quite a few times. Obviously, it's not far from from where we are for for those down in yes. Victoria, and a, and a lovely little spot as well. So, yeah, oh, we, we might yeah. we might check in and as those upgrades are, are going along. But um, yeah, it's been terrific to discuss your journey along the way, and um, yeah, we certainly yeah. appreciate you joining us. It, it's it's a wonderful career and one that um, I'm glad we were able to to educate people a little bit on. So, uh, so thank you very much for for joining us and. and good luck with all the coaching well thank you very much it's uh, wonderful that you've uh, spent the time to talk with me the first serve is your home of tennis at thefirstserve.com.au log on to find out all the details of our live radio show other podcasts read weekly features by our team of writers and follow us on social media facebook twitter instagram tiktok and subscribe to our youtube channel I'm in, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in, in it to win.